Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello! Trojan fans, welcome to the Parastyle Podcast on a Tuesday. We got to talk about the USC Trojans being two and zero in the shortened pandemic season. With Keely, your follow on Twitter at Keely is my name, or of course, read all about what she writes and the video and the photos and all of it on the Parastyle and USCFootball.com. She's doing a great job for us, and we love having her on the podcast. If you have any questions for us, for Keely, myself. Or anyone on the podcast, you can email us podcast at uscfootball.com or call or text us at 424-254-9141. We'd really, though, love to hear from you in our Apple podcasting app. So go to the Apple podcasting app, any of your Apple devices. If you leave us a five-star rating, some kind of positive review with any comments, feedbacks, or suggestions you have, it really helps us to grow the show. And if you have a question there on your Apple podcasting app, we will get to it right away at the top of the show because we want to show you a little love because that does really help us grow the show. We've been doing this for 13 seasons now, which is crazy. And we're, I guess, a third of the way through season number 13. And we have Keely on the line to talk about that last game, another fourth quarter comeback for the Trojans. Keely, how are you doing today? Hello. Hello, Ryan. Doing well. We have a couple of new reviews too, which is exciting. So thank you guys for that. I do like that. That's awesome stuff. So, uh, yeah, like we said, we'll start off with those and we'll get into the rest of the stuff. So what do we got, Keely? So first off, we have a five-star review from Colorado Trojan who says, Now that I moved into SEC country, I value this podcast even more than ever. I love listening to you guys and your insights and also the Trader Joe's references. Makes me feel like I'm back at school. Thanks for everything. Fight on. And then uh, Fisher left us a five-star review as well. He said, I've been a subscriber to uscfootball.com for many, many years. Ryan, Keeley, Shotgun, and Dan Weber represent what I want to hear in a podcast. They're honest, straightforward, and entertaining. They have some excellent guests, whether it's on Tunnel Vision or The Family Feud or any one of their multi-weekly podcasts. They are worth your time. This is the first premium site I've ever joined that covers US- uh, that covers USC football, and it's the only one I still subscribe to. In my opinion, they are the best. Also, look out for the War Room update on Friday morning. Their premium membership is worth every dime that's my take hugh from see me so thank you hugh look at that yeah. ryan we gotta send him a, a like a, you know finder's fee or something basket. that's like <laughs> we, we didn't pay him to say that so thank you hugh for that we appreciate it exactly and then we have one more and he has a five-star question so we'll get to that we'll actually ask a question at the top of the show it's from malone 2018 who says uh, the parasol is great he left us a five-star review he says the parasol is great about maintaining a healthy amount of skepticism about the state of usc football and the helton era while questioning the management the parasol also manages to keep positive about the raw talent that the usc brand bears on their opponents um and then the question is what are your predictions for what would have happened if Chip Kelly had gone and replaced Clay Hilton rather than becoming head coach in 2018 after such successes at Oregon and with USC's talent, dot, dot, dot. This would be in in a context of USC losing the Rose Bowl badly and firing Clay Hilton at the time. So joining UCLA in November uh, of 2017, he joined USC post-Rose Bowl. Thankfully, this wasn't the case. Uh, Rose Bowl win should be celebrated regardless of the administration's shortcomings. So basically, he wants to know you don't have the magic run with Sam Darnold and he- Clay Hilton gets fired and then Chip Kelly comes on board. 
how does that go, Ryan? <laughs> well, okay. At the time, I would have felt that's a huge move by USC. That's great. You bring in Chip Kelly. We saw what he could do in college when he was running that blur offense up at Oregon. It had to change a little bit uh, when he was in the NFL, a couple different stops. But I thought he'd get back to college and really, like the like like the review said, have better talent and run a really sophisticated and fun college offense. We haven't seen that at UCLA. And UCLA can get talent too. They're in Los Angeles also. It's not like the cupboard's bare. He hasn't wanted to recruit. He's not putting a lot of effort into recruiting. He's trying to run like the opposite of what he was running at Oregon. Uh, their offense against Cal uh, over the weekend on Sunday looked look good. It, like The best I've seen it for a while. But Cal was coming off, you know, two weeks of quarantine where a lot of their defensive linemen were, were couldn't even practice, so they just they got off quarantine like the day before. I'm not I'm not gonna I'm gonna hold judgment on that because they didn't look very good in the opener against Colorado, but they looked a lot better then. But the point of the question at the time, yes, I thought it would work. Now I don't think it would have worked. Uh, it's just not. It, he just doesn't look like he's into it like he was before in college and some of the things that he just doesn't care about are even more important than when he was coaching in college so you want to be with that elite program you know florida wanted to hire him everyone wanted to hire him they wouldn't hire him now and ucla's gonna have to fire him at some point uh he hasn't won an out of conference game since he's got to ucla so this is a this is a yeah i i would have been completely wrong because i would have said this is going to work and i just don't now in retrospect i don't think it would have but good stuff. Yeah, great five-star question. You can ask a, a odd one like that one for our our take. So there you go. I like odd questions. I like odd takes. I uh, you know, I do what I can as far as that stuff goes. Um, before we jump into the show, I just wanted to thank Trader Joe's, and we had mentioned in the uh, in the, the reviews too. But they've been awesome to us, and now it's a special time because it's Thanksgiving time, and the turkeys are there. Uh, there's a few different kinds. So if you want to, if you need to go get your Turkey, you definitely go check it out. So they have all natural, no antibiotics ever brined fresh turkeys for a buck 99 a pound. Uh, they have kosher birds that are two 99 and then the organic young turkeys are three forty nine a pound. So you got a few different choices there. Um, but no antibiotics, good stuff. If you want to get a great Turkey, I'm going to pick up, a one or two of them deep fry them. So that should be fun. I like, uh, I like deep frying my turkeys. So uh, I got to head over to Trader Joe's this week and uh, and and pick those up a little bit in advance. Make sure if you're if you're doing turkey stuff, you want the fresh one. Uh, if you're going to do it in the next couple of days, and you can get the frozen one, and then put it in the fridge and let it thaw out if it's uh, um, if you're if you have some more, more time. So people do make the mistake all the time, Kelly. They'll go in the store and buy a frozen turkey like on Wednesday, and it's like you're not going to thaw it by <laughs> tomorrow. Yeah, that would be me probably. I don't understand how to do these things. I can I can talk about football, but I can't really cook, so I don't know what I, what's the better one. I guess I don't know, but I will say I have to admit, Ryan, I did not know next week was Thanksgiving. I just completely didn't know between COVID and um and the football season being so late. I had no idea until Shotgun tweeted about it yesterday. So I was like, oh, right. Okay. Okay. That's, that's happening. Life is still happening. So I got to figure out what to do and obviously make a Trader Joe's stop. Thanksgiving is, see, now we have friends that don't like Thanksgiving. They'll say bad thing. I think Michael Castillo is like saying Thanksgiving is trash. 
it's awesome. It's like my favorite. It's like my favorite meal. I love making lots of turkey, mashed potatoes, gravy, stuffing, all that stuff, and just eating it for days. Um, I love it. I think I brought you guys like deep fried turkey before when I, you know, it, in the press box or something. And uh, uh, you, you, you like the turkey, right? You've had the deep fried turkey before. Yeah, yeah, it's been very good. You've been my Thanksgiving cheerleader the last couple of years, so thank you for making it feel festive. Because no one really likes Thanksgiving around me, except for you, Ryan. So oh, good, good for you. I do like Thanksgiving, so and so I'm gonna have a fun time going over to Trader Joe's and, and picking all the stuff. All right. Well, before we get into things, we have some uh, some breaking news. Uh, a couple of players from USC has hit the transfer portal. They just happen to be brothers. Keely, what do you know? Yeah, Ryan, it is the McLean brothers, Manir McLean and Abdul Malik, uh, both hit the portal. Uh, Ryan Karchi was the first to report it uh, for the LA Times, and we confirmed it here over on the Parastyle. You know, it's just, you kind of thought that this might happen, just given the fact that there were no updates on Manir McLean's status, uh, his suspension status, and you could tell that Shan... Uh, the McLean's mom was getting more and more frustrated by the process. So uh, they have decided to put their name in the, the transfer portal and USC uh, loses Abdul Malik. He was dressed out for Saturday's game uh, and the Muneer hasn't uh, been with the team since uh, his suspension. So you know, this is a thing, Ryan. It is one to definitely keep watching out for. It's been kind of quiet right now, but things are, I believe, still going on behind the scenes. So, just watch out for this one. Um, I know USC is trying to be as careful as possible because when you have a grand jury investigation going on, uh, they want to make sure they're protecting themselves as well. Yeah, it's weird because usually, like, if a player gets suspended, we hit, we get all kinds of updates. We hear all about it, what's going on behind. No, we don't ever hear anything. And uh, there was certainly the case in this one. And I agree with you, Keila. You're watching, uh, you know, family members tweet about what's going on and the frustration there. Um that wasn't a situation that could go on forever. So it was sort of like a matter of uh, when, not if uh, one or both brothers was going to hit the transfer portal. And uh, now, according to the LA Times story, that's what's happening. We confirmed it. Uh, Chris Vito was able to confirm that. But uh, both those guys were going to be transferring out of the program. Yep. So, uh, I mean, like you said, Ryan, it just seemed like the natural conclusion. And it might be the the better option, just given that uh, it just seems a little messy right now between – it just feels like that the relationship between the McLeans and USC has just been fractured over, over the last couple of weeks. And, and maybe hitting the transfer portal is a, a cleaner break for both parties. Yeah. So that, that really was just breaking right before we recorded. So – that's about as breaking as you're going to get on a podcast. So we're going to get this up pretty quickly. Um, let's talk about, I guess we're going to call it Armgate. Uh, so Keaton Slovis still throwing the ball uh, effectively. I mean, over 70%, uh, 70, almost 73% in the first game, about 70% or so in the second game against Arizona. We'll talk about that in a second. But the balls haven't looked the same. Uh, they just fluttered a lot of the times. And you know, I tried to talk to Graham Harrell about it last week and he sort of pled the fifth. Like he couldn't tell from his perch up there in the press box. that's up near the moon. He said, then, uh, you know, after the Arizona game, when the same thing was happening, Keen Slovis talked about, you know, it's a mechanical thing he could work on. Uh, Clay Helton was saying that the balls were a little slick. It was dry. It was windy, but somehow wet also, uh, even though it wasn't windy and reporters, you were down there. You said it wasn't windy. Jason Shearer covers Arizona said there was literally no wind is what he tweeted at me. Um, so that was weird. And then 
Graham Harrell talking about, no, there was no mechanical problems. He just threw, you know, he fluttered a ball and then it kind of got in his head, you know, ball slipped out of his hands early. It got his head with, depending on who you're talking to, we're getting way different, um, stories about what's going on with Keaton Slovis's uh, arm and those passes. What, what are your thoughts on this Keely? Yeah, it was weird, Ryan. It was one of those things that I was watching out for week one to week two, because, you know, maybe it was first game jitters. Maybe it was a little rust because he's coming off an injury, but I saw the same thing against Arizona. And the thing for me that, that stood out to me is I was able to see uh, his passes from an angle where I normally see them. Cause I, I was on the concourse. I wasn't on the sideline, but I was at least lower level. And it, it really stood out to me cause I'm so used to seeing how Keen Slovis throws. And there was just such a wobble to his passes. And even on my rewatch, the TV copy, you can't fully pick up on how much it was wobbling. Like I mentioned, I tweeted at the time, the Amon Ra uh, deep ball. Uh, you can't really see it on the TV copy, but in person, it was just it had a, a good amount of wobble to it, and so it's just it's just odd, and it's odd how they're treating it. I think if they were just like straight up about it and just said, you know, yeah, we noticed that too. We're not exactly sure, but we'll get it fixed. But the fact that we're getting three separate answers from three different people, including the person who's throwing the ball himself, just makes you it raises an eyebrow for sure. And so, like you mentioned, Ryan Slovis said maybe it's a mechanical issue. Uh, if it's mechanics, I'll get it fixed over the week. And then we talked to Graham Harrell on Tuesday morning, and he goes, "I don't know why he, why Keaton said that." He's like, "I don't know where he got that from." He said, "There's nothing wrong with Keaton's mechanics." And so. And Clay Helton, for his part, doubled down and said, we'll never have to talk about this again because it will get figured out. He said it was the ball was kind of slick. They're still trying to to wear in the new game balls. How can you say that when you're about to go according, like if it goes according to plan, you're about to go to Utah, a late night game where there it might be humid. There might be some some moisture in the air. It's going to be cold. You might have a little less feeling in your hand because of the cold. I, it's just it's it's odd to me, Ryan, and the fact that they are giving us different answers and they're kind of just grasping at answers is to me that usually means they're either trying to protect Keaton because he's in his head, or they're protecting him because there's a bigger issue, an underlying issue like an injury or his sprain is carried over. And I will say, as a very tortured Angels fan, <laughs> having an elbow sprain and then coming into the season and 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 seeing that Keenan Slovis is having issues throwing the ball, it's like, okay, was it a sprain to the point where he probably should have gotten surgery and didn't, and now they're seeing that he he should have? I don't know. That's that's me speculating. I gotta say that, but. It's just it's just odd to me, Ryan, and the fact that they're being so weird about it in their answers makes it it, it makes it a bigger th- thing than maybe it probably should be. Not sure. Yeah. So and and you know uh, Clay Helton said that they had a practice on Monday night, and then he threw the ball as good as he's ever seen it. Like he was spinning the ball great, and so and that's when he said, you know, you're not going to worry about this going forward, which is like. Uh, you know, you're definitely doubling down on that because if the ball's fluttering again, you're like, well, I thought you said we don't have to worry about this. It's, it's, I mean, are you trying to like just get this out of people's heads? Cause it's not going to be until they see him throw a, a good spiral again and they haven't seen it. And I'm kind of on the, when I hear three different people describing the same thing, the same issue with three different excuses or three, three different reasons why my, my tendency is to be like, they're covering something up. They're hiding something. They don't want to, or whatever it is. They're trying to protect, like you said, maybe protect Keaton Slovis, doing something along those lines. But 
if they were like protecting something, wouldn't you think that they would have had the wherewithal to talk to each other and like, okay, here's the story of what we're going to (laughs) do, you know? So maybe if you're going to like give them a little bit of credit that if they were going to try to cover something up, they would at least talk to each other and figure out what that thing was going to be. And then all say it's mechanical or is the dry ball or whatever it is. The fact that they didn't, maybe there isn't anything nefarious going on. It's just like, we're not really sure. And that's, but it, you know, he's still doing fine and and they just all kind of up with their different ideas. I don't know. It's, it's hard to say, but my initial tendency is to to think when they're all given different stories like that, there's probably a story and it's not really what's going on. Yeah. And even if you listen back to the, the post-game press conference on Saturday, Helton goes ahead of Keaton and says, you know, there's a slight when he describes other circumstances and Keaton follows right after and doesn't go, yeah, what I completely agree. It was the wind. He goes, "Mm, maybe it was mechanics. And it's like, wait, (laughs) how are you now having a different answer? It was just like you said, Ryan, it was, it was definitely odd, but I mean, it just doesn't seem like he's confident in where he can place the ball. And according to PFF last year, he was one of the most accurate passers in college football. And so the fact that he doesn't feel confident in where he's putting the ball, it really messes up the timing. And you saw that where uh, USC's wide receivers as talented as, as they are, had to adjust and had to really, uh, jump for the ball and 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 make sure that they were coming down with it and, and getting it and, and it affects your your yards after the catch you know I mean Drake London he's just muscling through trying to get extra yards but he probably could have gotten more yards if it was right where Keaton wanted to place it and the weird thing Ryan I couldn't tell because I was up in a weird part of of the concourse but on the tv copy Keaton Slovis looked pretty frustrated at times and so I, I didn't think he was one to get frustrated last season uh, so it's just it's maybe it's a mental thing in that sense. I'm not sure, but he just doesn't look like he has confidence. Even in his checkdowns, it was like a little wobbly. Just like it just didn't look right. And so it's something that you hope obviously gets gets shored up soon. But just just odd. It's it's a, it's definitely a weird USC thing where it's like, why can't we get a straight answer about this? <laughs> yeah, and I think you could say like what Graham was saying that could be true. What Keaton was saying what could be true, but you. The problem is, and my theory of like, well, they would have, if, if they were lying, they would have all gone on the same page. The problem is we know Clay Helton either was was lying or um, didn't, you know, was just kind of coming up with something uh, because it wasn't windy. It just wasn't windy. So like wind wasn't a factor uh, in throwing it. And that was, maybe it's just something he said. He didn't bring that up again. I don't believe after that first, you know, the first time after the game, but you know, we start getting tweets and you're, you're like, there was no wind. There wasn't windy. So that definitely yeah. wasn't part of the problem. So that makes you think like, well, what the heck are they doing here? Like if, if there's something wrong, there's something wrong. Is it something from the, the initial injury? Is it, you know, like I said, like, but it could be something silly. Cause like shotgun was talking about student managers can't go to the games and you have to, you know, work up these footballs and they have to kind of get, you know, they scuff them up a little bit. If you want to Google Matt Barkley and picking the peaches, this was, you know, 10 years ago or whatever. I forget when it was about 10 years ago, eight, eight, 10 years ago, something like that. He does a video where he's working with the student managers on picking which footballs to use and how they work them in. And, you know, it's sort of like if you, you get a brand new glove and, uh, you're, you, whatever you do, you, you wrap it in a cord with a ball in it and stick it in the oven or run your car over it, whatever you do to, you know, break your glove in, you have a little method and you do it and they have to break in these footballs too. You get to bring your own footballs and pick what you want. And if they really were using like brand new slick footballs that weren't very comfortable, somebody dropped the ball somewhere and maybe they don't want to throw that person on the bus. It's hard to say, but, um, it, 
if it is the football thing and now they're like, yeah, we really should break these footballs. Someone's going to be doing it now. You know, uh, I don't care if there's no student managers on the trip, figure out the football thing before you go. You know, like it's, it's not like you're going to be there for a week. You're, you're there for 24 hours, you know, figure out the football thing, get him footballs that he feels comfortable throwing and throw them. So I don't know. I, if the game happens this weekend, we, you know, right now it looks like it's on schedule till USC still going to travel to Utah and play. Um, everyone's going to be watching them because that's all we've, we, it's one of the main things we've talked about the last two weeks. Now, mm-hmm. the first week was sort of, we we're bringing it up and it wasn't really getting as much attention. Then when the broadcast crew was talking about it and then every press conference you have, they're asking the questions and you're getting different answers. It's just going to make more people tune into it. Like, Hmm, what's Keenan doing? Is he going to throw the football better? And, uh, I don't know if, if, if there is any sort of mental aspect to it, that's exactly what you don't want. You don't want everyone talking about the thing that you're worried about, you know? Exactly. Sorry. Can I, can I, no, you're right. I was going too long. Yeah. So no, no, to rant for two seconds, because this is where as a head coach, your messaging and what you say to the media matters, because if this is a, a, an example where Keaton is actually just in his head and you need to squash this issue to stop uh, exacerbating the issue. This is where your credibility really comes into play. Because if we believed Helton on everything he said, and he said, it's not an issue, Keaton will get it sorted out. I don't think we talk about it as much as we do, you know, but the fact that you have, you rave about EA preseason and EA doesn't look good. It's hard to believe what he says. Or today, for example, he called USC an extremely disciplined bunch, especially in critical situations. And it's like, what? (laughs) And so this is where your credibility matters as a head coach, because there are times when you need your word to mean something. And if, if Selvis is somehow having a, a mental issue here and you need to squash the issue, your word is not going to, is not going to solve it, especially when you have a different answer than your offensive coordinator and your quarterback himself. So I, again, I'm big on the messaging and, and your credibility and it just doesn't seem like it's helping the situation at all. Yeah. If they had a good answer after the the game, no one would bring it up again on Sunday night. No one would bring it up again on Tuesday morning. And now it's been brought up all the time. Keen's been asked specifically about it. And, you know, if it is some, you know, something that is in his head, it's like Steve Sachs, you know, for when he couldn't throw the football, I mean, the baseball from second base to first base, there's like, there's a block, mental block going. Uh, if you figure a way around that and you can not think about it, then you, it's probably easier to get over it. But if you're going to be talking about it constantly, it's going to be really hard to mentally get over something like that. So. Um, I don't know. Maybe it is just the football thing. We don't know at this point, but I can tell you everyone's going to be watching all of his throws and slowing it down and going, what kind of flutter is that? Is that oh, that's a spiral. That's nice or whatever it is. But all eyes are going to be on the, the ball he's throwing, not just, oh, he was 35 of 42 for 325. No, it's going to be about, hey, how does the ball look coming out of his hand? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so if it is a mental issue, that's the last thing you want. So hopefully for USC, it gets sorted out. Well, we're like many minutes into this podcast. We haven't even, I don't think we've said the score of the game. Uh, USC <laughs> beat Arizona over the weekend on Saturday in Tucson. First row game of the year. 34 to 30. Um, come back again. USC needs to score in the final two minutes uh, to take the lead and win the game. Uh, John Wilner had a great tweet where he said USC scored eight touchdowns in their two games. Uh, four of them, half of their touchdowns have been in the first 56 minutes of play of the, of those games. The other four, half of them have been in the last four minutes. So 
half your points scored in 7% of the game. Uh, it's been dramatic coming back. And the problem to me, Keely, uh, we, I wrote a column about being groundhog day. I did some rewatch notes and put a bunch of notes of things I saw there, but the old, the general feeling, and I don't know if this is fair or not, is this is a win that feels that it's not a win. It feels maybe not a loss, but it just doesn't feel victorious. It doesn't feel like USC won the game. They won in dramatic fashion. You should feel pretty good about it. But knowing that Arizona was picked to finish last, knowing that they have the least amount of at least high school prospect talent on their roster and USC has the most, it didn't feel the same. It wasn't the first game of the season. It wasn't against an up-and-coming title contender in the South like Arizona State. Um, it wasn't, you know, it it didn't have the same aspects. Arizona hadn't played their first game. They were the one that would have the kind of rust. There's no reason that this should have been as close as it was. And USC was a tipped ball going through a defender's hands away from losing the game. So it just didn't feel like a win. A lot of the USC fans that were tweeting us and posting on the message boards on uscfootball.com talking about their this unhappy. I don't know if you think that's fair or not, but it it I think it's fair that it didn't feel like a great win. And we're not getting that sort of when we when we hear from the coaches and players, they make it sound like the win's a win, it's a W. And it, and but the, for whatever reason, the players and the coaches and the fans, uh, and probably us in the media, are just on a different page. It just doesn't feel like USC was victorious on Friday, on Saturday. Yeah, that's the weird thing, Ryan, is like I kind of have to keep reminding myself, oh, right, USC's 2-0, and because it just doesn't feel like that. And and I think you did a great job introing this question because, you know, it, ASU, it was dramatic and you felt like, okay, you're shaking off the rust. This is the first game of the season. ASU is probably, everyone circled that as the toughest matchup for USC this season. And then you come into Arizona and that's a game where you you'd hoped that USC would flex its offensive muscles against this team. You know, this is not a... a, a deep defensive roster for for Arizona this is where uh the game where we've always dubbed one USC running back as a, a wildcat killer it was Alcacetra Guerra and then Keenan Kristen last year because their defense just got gashed but on both air and run game you know so the fact that they weren't able to do that the fact that they stuttered in the red zone uh, the mental mistakes that third quarter was just atrocious it was just not good and the thing is is yes they got the win they're resilient and that's something a great thing you want from a football team but you you have to feel like this luck is going to run out at some point. You're not going to be able to pull out uh, these wins in the next couple of games, especially a Kyle Whittingham team. They're always coached really well. Rice Eccles has always given USC trouble. I just don't think you can pull those type of shenanigans and get away with it. I think Chris Trevino wrote uh, in one of his articles uh, over the weekend, you know, USC has unlimited ammo to shoot itself in the foot. And that's just kind of what it feels like at times. And so, you know, they are 2-0, but... It's just not what you come to expect from a USC team. I mean, we at one point we were talking about, oh, what is it going to take for them to get into the college football playoff? I mean, you can kind of write that off. They don't pass the eye test. At and the thing that I've kind of been like mulling over for the past couple of weeks is just the tone. And you kind of alluded to this, Ryan, like what we're hearing from coaches and players and the tone. And it just feels like there's this air of, well, come on, like, oh, well, we're, we're going to get better. I, I can't wait to see this team. And I think I've just hit my point where I feel like we, and I said this last week, I feel like we hear this every season. And it's like, 
yes, you can say that, but you're USC. And, and and I guess what I'm curious about is, like, what are you expecting from USC at this point? What is the USC brand? Because I think USC fans expect so much more. And what the coaches say sometimes after games where they're not living up to their potential makes it sound like they want credit for for not for just, I don't know, for it just doesn't seem like they're living up to USC potential, Ryan. I don't know if I'm being too critical here, but just look at the talent roster. And I know you look at the 247 ratings of, of stars and whatnot per roster. And USC should have blown this team out and gotten their freshman playing time, but they didn't. And so I, it, it's weird because I feel like I'm being too critical at times. But then you go, this is a USC team. They should be doing this. But the, the messaging we get from the coaches and sometimes the players is, oh, this was good. This was good. We'll get there. And it's like, well, what are your expectations? Are you wanting to be a Pac-12 champion? Are you wanting to clinch the South? Or are you wanting wanting to be in the college football playoff conversation? Because right now it just doesn't feel like you're there. And I know I'm kind of going on a rant right now, Ryan. But I think I'm just kind of frustrated by the spin we're hearing at times. No, I'm with you. And there's, there's something where you can talk about in a general year winning the South, winning the Pac-12. I mean, that's certainly important, but I think you have to understand the environment that you're in that the South looks down. Uh, You know, you've already played the team that has the best returning quarterback in the South outside of Keaton Slovis and you, you beat them and and was lucky to do it. And, you know, maybe Colorado is better than we thought, you know, maybe UCLA is a little better than we thought, but you're still the class of the South and like, putting a lot of stock in that, it just doesn't seem genuine, you know? And, uh, you know, if you're doing some kind of, uh, you know, you're, you're doing CrossFit or whatever, and you're, you're trying, you're going for a special time and one of your deadlifts has whatever, I don't know what weight is, you know, like 200 pounds on your deadlift, something like that. And, you know, it's difficult, but you're, you're able to do it. And you, you can talk about like, yeah, I, I work my way up. It's a personal best. And then they, they lop off a couple of plates and now you're, you know, lifting a uh, 120 pounds and you're talking about the same way. Like, well, no, it's a much easier lift now. Like you can't so, you know, it's, you took up most of the, you know, 60% of the weight off or whatever. Uh, it's just not the same. And I, for USC, you lopped off the hardest part of the schedule. I can't think you talk about the season in the same way. You have to have some sort of context of, you know, that things are a lot more, a lot easier that you don't have to play Alabama and you don't have to play Notre Dame. You don't have to play Oregon. You don't have to play Washington. Like you have to take that in consideration because everyone else has. And if you keep talking, like you're playing the exact same schedule. And if you win the South, it's like a miracle. Uh, it's, uh, you've done an amazing job. No, you should be able to show up and win the South. And so far they haven't shown up. And I have a real problem when you said this team is resilient. Not that you're saying that, but when, when Clay Helton will say they're showing all this resiliency and stuff, it's that's not resilient. I mean, when you're the superior team, it's not resilient if you come back and win. Like if you've ever gone out and played pickup basketball and you're just playing some better people, you're better than that than the people you're playing or volleyball, whatever it is, some some sport that you're just you know you're better than your whoever your opponent is, and for whatever reason your opponent's winning for a while, you're better than them. I don't think it's resilient if you come back and like I hit a. a you know, I drive the hole and hit a couple layups and I, I, I take the lead and win. I'm not looking at that as resilient. I'm just looking at it as, well, I'm just, I'm riding the ship. I'm just doing what I should have done from the very beginning. I don't look at myself as this resilient player. Remember like the Pete Carroll teams with, you know, uh, with Reggie Bush and Matt Liner and stuff. 
you know, they're they're messing around with some. Are they really being resilient when they're they're playing down to the level of an opponent? They just bored that week, and then they come back and just storm them. I I don't think Matt Leinart's going. Man, we showed some resiliency coming back and beating Oregon State. No, you killed Oregon State. Think if you're losing or or it's close, then you're like. That's on us. We shouldn't let that happen. I don't think that's resilient when a, a superior team has a comeback like that. So I don't know. There's my little rant back at Shaquille. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think to add on another analogy, Alicia Deartola from Raina Troy always says the, the great analogy, like USC is the A student. Like, you know, they can get A's, but they're pulling in C's right now and want credit for, you know, C's get degrees. They want credit for passing. It's like, well, yeah, you pass, but you're an A student. You can do this, you know, and that's why it feels like we're in at such a, a conflict point in these press conferences because we're expecting the A's and they're kind of shrugging at us being like, look, we got C's. Like, what are you talking about? Like, we'll get there. We'll get to A's by the end of the season. And it's like, well, I mean, you can't brand yourself as an A student and then be okay with C's in the middle of the season. You know, I just, it, there's just a disconnect there. And it's, it's, it's frustrating because I, I think people want some witness stand moment where we're going to ask some magical question and the coaches are going to be like, you're, you're right. We are undisciplined. You're right. And that's not going to happen. You know, it's just, we're getting these, these canned PR spin answers that are just, just frustrating because it just doesn't seem grounded in reality. And you'd hope as a USC fan that, the answers they're giving us are at least like a little bit of PR spin and that they actually know uh, what the issues are behind the scenes. But the fact that things aren't getting corrected fully makes you wonder that if they do, you know, it's just, I don't know, Ryan, I I think (laughs) coming off of the Tuesday press conference, I'm just kind of frustrated by the answers we're hearing and how I feel like I have different expectations than the team itself. And it's like, I'm the reporter. I'm not even a fan, you know, should I just adjust my expectations? (laughs) I don't know. I, I know I'm, I'm going off right now and I probably shouldn't, but it's just, it's just odd, you know? No, I love it. It's good. And I, I thought that was a good analogy by Alicia. And uh, it's sort of like you're the A student and you're getting C's, but you're still talking about getting into Harvard. Like, no, like, yeah, if you got A's, yeah, we'll talk about getting into Harvard. You could make the playoff if you're getting A's. You're getting C's. Like the playoff committee is not going to pick you. There's a lot of reasons not to. Playing like crap is the main one. Like, yeah, you only have seven games. But if you like crushed everybody in those seven games, there'd be consideration there. You go seven and zero, and you know, winning in squeaky fashion like this against some bad teams along the way. No, you got to show people that you can blow people out. You got to show the community that you can blow people out. So I tweeted out, I don't want to hear anything more about college football playoff in USC, and I don't want to hear about getting you know Clay Helton getting tarmac. He's not going to get fired. So, uh, so I, I let people know, no more of that stuff. I know you you laid the ground rules, Ryan, and I was very appreciative of that. But we're yeah. still getting it. I still have friends texting me about it. I'm like, don't ask me this. Just listen to our podcast. Yeah, I like it. All right. Well, why don't we take a quick break? We're we're not really breaking down the game that much. I did that more with Harvey Hyde, but we will get into more nuances of the game with some of the questions, I believe. So uh, sure. we'll we'll get into that uh, and talk about more about that after this break. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. All right. We're back here on the Peristyle podcast. Um, yeah, it's weird. I thought we could talk more about the game, but we haven't. So we're going <laughs> to talk about the game with our questions and uh, we got some good ones uh, that have been sent in. We got a couple of voicemails too. I think a text or two. Mm-hmm. So where would you like to begin Keely? We went into rant ro- mode, Ryan. <laughs> yeah. I like, Game- I like you in rant mode. I want to get your opinion on stuff and sometimes you don't do it because you're, you're being respectful, but you've I been know. around this program a long time. You know, your stuff, you know, your football. <laughs> I want to hear your opinion. So I like to hear it. I just I want to be respectful and I know I can get kind of spicy off this uh, off, off off recording and so it kind of leaked into this recording. I think it's just how many seasons of this? I think I lost my patience a little bit. <laughs> so it it came out in the podcast. Yeah. Um let's go to an email from LA Fred who said uh Ryan and crew, love all the uscfootball.com pods and shows. Thanks for all that you do and allowing us fans to continually beat this dead horse that is the USC football program right now under Helton. My podcast question which is currently worse as a position group, the offensive line or the linebackers? And which do you see as having the greater likelihood of improving? Thanks, L.A. Fred. Hey, Fred. Thanks for that. I'm glad you uh, like the show. Yeah, we we do a lot of shows each week, like multiple podcasts. You know, so Keely and I do one, do one with Harvey Hyde. I'll usually do a preview podcast. Keely and Shotgun and Chris Trevino will do the, the Family Feud podcast. And we'll put podcasts up from our two Tunnel Vision shows a week. So that's a lot of podcasts going up every week. Plus we do those two live shows that are on video. Um, so if you really, uh, you really want to hear about USA football all the time, every day, uh, and <laughs> podcasting for them, you can do it with just with us. So, uh, we, but th- I'm glad you guys like it and l- you like it, Fred. Um, as far as if you want to say which one is worse, um, I would say the linebackers have underperformed more than the offensive line. There've been some offensive yeah. line issues, but it's not all been on the offensive line. Uh, I thought they got a little better, but like you said, it's, a, I mean, it's a, a, an inferior opponent that had walk-ons in there too deep on the defensive side for Arizona. They were completely gassed by the end of the game. It wasn't a thin, you know, it wasn't a deep defense. Some of their best players had already opted out. So I'm not going to give the offensive line a whole bunch of credit for looking better, but I would say in general, the, the linebackers, there's, there's more meat on the bone. There's more that could be improved that, than what the offensive line, I think, there's scheme issues. I, I I like the offense that they run. I have no problem them running an air raid on some people don't like it. 
but there are or, or type of air raid. Um, but I think that the tight end group as would be more of an underperforming group than the offensive line at this point. And I think they kind of try to help each other and they haven't been, been helped by that group. So to me that the two underperforming units for me would be the linebackers and the tight ends. And I've, I wrote a little bit about that each week. Interesting. But wouldn't you say that the offensive line has a greater impact than the, the tight ends just because they're, they're more of a, a larger unit on the offense? I think it does, uh, but they, you know, they also have Vera Tucker like grading out through the roof uh, yeah, as far man. as what, you know, he's been a stud, um, and I think they've had pretty good play, you know, in, in parts and some other parts, no, and, you know, that the the fourth and one that got stuffed, uh, I don't think, you know, Clay Helton said that was a, a blown assignment, I mean, just watching the play, it looked like a bad scheme, it looked like you had two tight ends on the left side, the offensive line when we're all blocking who they were supposed to block for it looked like, and there was a free rusher on the right side. And if one of those tight ends was on that side, he could block that guy. And he didn't. So, I mean, to me, it wasn't set up correctly. Uh, you know, is Keaton Slow was supposed to like notice that and, and send a guy in motion. I don't know, but th- that was more about the play setup than how any of those individuals played. It's not like somebody, you know, got beat on their block. Nobody blocked a guy and he, he tackles, I think it was step, whatever in the, in the, in the backfield and they get stopped on fourth and one. So I think the offensive line might be, uh, there's criticism there for sure, but I feel like some of it's uh, not necessarily fair. There's been some, you know, better play from them in in spots. I I would say. Sure. Yeah. I just think there's like a consistency issue, obviously, you know, pulling Liam Jimmins. I thought sometimes he just completely missed his, his assignment. And sometimes he did get there. I don't know. I just, I think in that sense, the offensive line is like at the, cusp maybe of turning and maybe you think of of moving some personnel around whereas the linebackers i just don't feel like they're noticeable they're not very in a bad way and the depth there is very very shallow because you have palaia naotote in concussion protocol right now you know raymond scott who played seven snaps in his career prior to going into the game on saturday so it's just it's hard, but then again, you would hope that they would improve as well, just because Todd Orlando is the the linebackers guy. I don't know. I think so. I think I think the offensive line has a better chance of improving in that front. It's hard because both of those need work. Both of those positions that LA Fred uh, identified. It's just such a short season. Is how much improvement can you really get right now? You know. Yeah, and if you're looking, uh, Shotgun um, sent over, and he talks about this. He put some stories up on uscfootball.com about how these players grade out. As far as offense goes, uh, Elijah Vera Tucker had the highest grade of any offensive player. But, I mean, the problem is you, know, you did have, uh, like, Justin Dietrich was 15th out of 19. Um, but, you, you know, and you had Liam Jimmins was 14th. Uh, Jalen McKenzie was 11th. And then Andrew Voorhees was 10th. So, you know, four of the five offensive linemen were in double digits as far as that goes. But the two tight ends were 17th and 18th out of 19. And Gary Bryant Jr., the freshman, was the only one. Uh, he only played 13 snaps, so he was after um, those guys. And, it, you know, that was pretty consistent with last week where they didn't get graded uh, very high. And you look at the same thing on the, the defensive side. Like, I thought Raymond Scott did some good things. He was the worst-rated defender for USC uh, out of 22 guys. He was 22nd, and Ray, Raylan Goforth was 21st. So, um, yeah, it, there, you know, Pallier, no, Teote was 13th out of 22. So he was a little higher than he was. The week before, but last week, I think the linebackers were either 
dead last or two of the three of them were, you know, in, in last or second to last or whatever. Uh, so it's those position groups, maybe on the offensive side, the tight ends aren't involved as much. Uh, Jude Wolf played 34 snaps and uh, Eric Cromenhoek played 33. So it wasn't like they were out in the field on the, as much. They were on the, the field more, I think, in week one. And maybe they lost a little bit of playing time from that. We also saw, you know, Jude, Jude Wolf get banged up a little bit. But yeah, I, that's where I think some of the, you know, the issues have been. Certainly on the offensive line, there's issues too. But I, I think right now, the linebackers have been the most disappointing for me because I sort of was expecting it a little bit more from the offensive line than I am from the. I thought the linebackers, like you said, Todd Orlando's there. They're gonna they're gonna step up and play better, and uh, I just don't think they have. Yeah, and you have to take into account that Orlando's defense really heavily relies on the linebacker position to come up and make those tackles. And if they're making them too far downfield, it makes you wonder how you evaluate this defense because if your like, critical position group is underperforming, it kind of negates your whole scheme in that sense, you know? Yeah, no, 100%. So, um, but let's go to a text, Ryan, because you mentioned scheme. Uh, Marcel from the IE says, is Slovis allowed to call audibles, especially when it's fourth and one and he sees no one blocking the defensive end? Um, scheme. I love, do you love scheme questions? I love scheme questions. Um, (laughs) I think he has some capabilities of making some changes. I mean, if there's a RPO sort of situation, there's, you know, he has options there. It's like, you can do one thing or the other. I don't remember. I don't know if you remember Keely. I don't remember talking specifically about, you know, audibles, like changing plays at the line. Uh, as much, I mean, sometimes they can like look over to the sidelines and things, but, um, I, I don't think this is like the audible that, that, that Marcel is talking about where, uh, Peyton Manning's coming to the line of scrimmage and he's got like three play calls in his head and he can pick which one he thinks is, uh, it, you know, is going to be the right call. I, I think for the most yeah. part they're running things, but there's options as opposed to Slovis can go up there and change the play to something else if he wants to. Yeah, I don't think they give Slovis that much control. It doesn't seem like that to me. And yeah, so I, I don't, I would say no. But I, I, I don't think we've asked recently, Ryan. Yeah, I don't think like, uh, and it's year two. Like there could be, he could have some more um, freedom. freedom to do stuff. But uh, that's a good question. We can, we can ask specifically. But I, I think if you're talking about audible, I think what I, I, I can picture what Marcel's wanting and it's not, you yeah. know. Peyton Manning coming to line and going, you know, what was the, I forget what was the, there was one of the lines he used. Omaha. Uh, Omaha, Omaha, Omaha. Yeah. Like, I don't <laughs> think there's no Omaha call for, uh, for Keen Slovis. I don't believe. Yeah. And that's in thread. I'm going to insert my own question because I can. What do you think of the pacing that USC does? Because I just felt like it was a little awkward. Uh, they would get to the red zone and they would go up tempo and then suddenly they would go, then they would stop up tempo and they would just look at the line, look at the sideline and then go into it. It just felt like the pacing was really off between plays. And it just, to me, it felt like they couldn't decide whether or not they were going to go up tempo and then they were going to change it once they got into like a third and long and they needed to really like perform, you know, it just felt like they're too in their heads a little bit. It just, the whole thing felt a little awkward to me, especially in the third quarter. I, I agree with you. And I don't like that where, you're trying to run. If you're going to run a quick play because something's going to be reviewed, fine. Like do it. You know that that's. I don't have an issue with something like that. 
when they got to the third and one thing and it, they're at the one yard line and you try to hurry up and you fall start, now you're third and six. Whatever small advantage you could potentially get by running fast against, you know, an Arizona defense that's just not that good, you lose with the the high probability that you're going to screw up because you've tried to run faster. So it just doesn't make logical sense for me for unless you can show that you can execute it perfectly and that the you know speeding things up really gives you some huge advantage you're just sort of doing it because that's what other people have done and it, it seems like a cool thing to do or whatever but i would say if you go analyze whenever usc's done that are you better off by doing it or are you worse off i think if you had to like grade it on a curve like it would be you'd be worse off by how you've handled that as opposed to uh, just going up and running the regular play when Chip Kelly, when we talked about him earlier, was doing it with the blur at Oregon, there was a systematic approach to what was going on. If you were on the, if the offense was on the home hash mark um, and they knew that the defense had a further distance to go to substitute players, he would run different things or not substitute or keep going, keep the pace going, not allowing defenders to come in and out of the game. And I think there was a really smart way to do that. And it, it worked. I think if, if he was doing that and like, depending on which hash you were on or run plays to get to a certain hash, cause you wanted to go, a, you know, a certain pace and that wasn't working. You wouldn't just keep doing it because you thought it was cool. Like he was doing that cause he proved it was working and it, it did work. It was giving you an advantage. I just don't see the advantage of, Oh, it's, it's third and goal from the one let's, let's rush up their line of scrimmage and do something fast. Um, yep. I mean, the defense seems to be pretty ready, you know, and, and the offense <laughs> yeah. has it and the offense is the one that has to get set and do that. You know, you're at a disadvantage. It's sort of like you're playing blackjack in Las Vegas. Um, you know, the dealer has an advantage in blackjack. Uh, they get to make a decision after you go and then you sort of flip it and that you're, you're putting yourself in a, a worse spot. So I, I don't like it particularly, but sorry, long answer to your question. No, no, it's fine. That's great. No. Yeah. Cause to me, it just feels a little awkward and it just feels like, they're putting a lot of pressure to execute and execute fast. And I don't know if the team is good at that right now. I do remember talking to Graham Harrell after the Notre Dame game. And he was talking about how sometimes he puts the team in up tempo to get out of their heads. And so that makes you wonder, like, is that why he's doing that in this season? Is being in their heads still an issue? You know, I just, it doesn't fully make sense to me. And I don't know if it's successful, but it sounds like a good research project, Ryan, to figure out success rate of when they went go up tempo in the red zone. We versus- can put shotgun in that. Yeah, and if you want to go, I think if you're going to go tempo, it's okay. But you have to. You're doing it like you're. This is a drive. We're going to go tempo. That's fine. You get in that rhythm when you're not doing that, and all of a sudden, critical down. Go fast right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You shoot yourself in the foot. You know. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's what I was. I was specifically asking about because it just seems like it's it's a random like spin the wheel, and we're going up tempo now. It's like wait, what? (laughs) It just doesn't seem. uh, It just seems odd. Um, but let's go to a question from Frank in Sacramento, who said, where was Drake Jackson in the first half against Arizona? An, Insta- an Instagram post said he left the field and went to the locker room after not feeling well during the first half. Can you confirm? Uh, I can confirm, Frank. I was there watching the full thing of Drake Jackson. He just did not look good. He looked like he was just not feeling well. Um, you kind of always know when something's going on, when there's just like a hovering of trainers around a player. Uh, and at a certain point, some other defensive players were coming by and checking in on Drake. Uh, he just looked really tired and kind of exhausted. And then at one point, USC's team doctor was kind of checking his pulse and like using a, a stethoscope. So I definitely had my eye on it. 
but then he walked on his own power into the locker room, gave his family a thumbs up, and then came back out. I believe he got an IV. I was told that he was dehydrated. Um, so they tried to figure that out. And it, it, it it's unfortunate for USC because you could tell the difference when Drake was in the game and when he wasn't. So why dehydration was an issue, not sure. But uh, apparently he's feeling better. And it wasn't injury related. That's that's the good part for USC fans is it's not going to be a prolonged thing. And he definitely was a difference maker at the end of the game. He's got that, what, the thigh bruise? The thigh. No, that's, that's Talanoa who fungus. Oh, I'm sorry. Talanoa has that one. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. I got Which, my uh, star defensive player injury mixed up. <laughs> right? And that's why I also had trouble just evaluating this defensive performance because at one point you had EA out, you had Talanoa Funga out, and you had Drake Jackson out. So you, it was a little bit of a struggle at times. So I feel like a little bit you have to grade it on a curve because those are some some key players out in that sense. But he came back. He had two sacks in the game. Uh, sack on the last uh, drive uh, for Arizona that, that was big. So he looks like you know, he can be a difference maker. Maybe it takes him a little while at the, the lower weight. You know, he's 30 pounds lighter than what he was before. But, um, you know, he looked pretty good. I, they they got after Grant Gunnell pretty well at times. I think he held on to the ball a little bit too long. There there was times where he could have just got rid of the ball and it wasn't doing that. And he made some plays downfield and he ran the ball effectively. But him kind of hanging on to the ball a little too long in the pocket and moving around and buy himself some time. But that pass rush would eventually get to him. And, uh, you know, in the case of like Hunter Eccles, he got to him, but he ran to the line of scrimmage. So it, was a, it wasn't a sack. But Drake got two of them. And uh, it was good to see because I thought he played pretty well in the first game, just didn't have the same kind of numbers. Uh, but he got some, he got some numbers in uh, the second game. Yeah, it also looked like that hamstring injury is finally, he's finally feeling better with that hamstring. I think you could tell a difference in game two as well. So uh, getting him back healthy is definitely key. Um, an email from Mark, who, if you remember last week, Mark gave uh, the the hype, the overrated hype Keeley Ben Griffiths Award. <laughs> he yes, created that. Mark for that. And, uh-huh. Yeah, and then he gave me grief on Tunnel Vision, and now he's giving me grief again. He says, I know Keeley deemed this question was not good enough for Tunnel Vision, but I still really am curious about the answer, so I'm going to try again on here. Keeley, do you remember what Keaton's passes looked like in that one spring practice they had? Did you shoot footage of the warm-ups? What does that show? Was Keaton struggling to throw spirals back then, too? I just think if we know when his throwing issues started, that it might help in figuring out what's causing them, or least rule out certain things like the holiday bowl injury if his throws were fine in spring ball mark so the reason why i didn't answer it mark was because i actually wanted to go back and watch the footage because i didn't remember march feels like nine years ago uh, but i actually did go back and watch it and in the footage that i had his spirals look fine um so that's where you wonder uh is it a mental thing because obviously the first spring practice is not going to be you're not going to overthink that and then uh i just don't know and the thing i will say is that when when keen slovis talked that that one march practice about uh he was cleared just a week prior it raised an eyebrow for me just given usc's track record with injuries the fact that he took so so long to get cleared and that there was he said that he now prioritizes rehabbing and really cooling down his arm it was just like a little bit of eyebrow raising so uh, we don't have to talk about Armgate again, Ryan, but uh, for you, Mark, I went back and watched and, and there wasn't really a, I didn't, I didn't notice an issue, but again, March feels like nine years ago. So yeah. take it with a grain of salt. No, that's good. I'm glad uh, you went back and, and take a look at that. I totally forgot that you had footage of him so you could check it out. Uh, why don't we go to a voicemail? Uh, right. Let me play this for you, Keely. Hey, Parastyle Podcast. It's Rick from Vista. I just wanted to say, I just saw the USC Arizona game. 
another lackluster performance by the Trojans. Um, this is turning out to be exactly like I thought. Um, the team is winning in spite of the coach and only barely. When we play a really good team, I'm scared to death how that's going to end up. Um, but for some reason, these coaches cannot motivate the players. They are not playing with a sense of urgency. They're not playing like that at all. I don't see that from any of the players. Maybe Marlin in the trenches, but it doesn't seem like there's a sense of urgency. And we are barely beating teams that we should be dominating. So I'd like to think think about that, but I surely think that this coaching staff is not doing a good job and they need to somehow motivate the players. The defense shouldn't allow so many points. The offense shouldn't look so terrible. It looked better last year. And I would agree, Keaton Slovis does not look the same. Something's wrong. So I'd like to hear what you think. Bye. Hey, Rick, real quick on that. Um, the problem is people say that, like, well, wait till they play a good team. Well, if they had Alabama or Notre Dame or, or Oregon or Washington on the schedule, then you could say, well, let's see what they look like. But you don't. You have some teams that are like, oh, maybe Colorado's better than we thought. Or, well, you know, UCLA, they, well, they looked all right on offense against the, this Cal team that hadn't played yet. Maybe, maybe they're actually pretty good. They're both probably not very good, uh, you know, but whatever, like in Washington state, even like that's a game where I really thought they wouldn't be as good as they've looked so far. They were feisty against Oregon. So if they're feisty against Oregon, then, you know, they could be feisty against USC and we'll see, you know, what happens there, but there's just not a team on the schedule right now that has the kind of talent level that USC has. Uh, maybe they get to play Oregon in the championship game, but then it's like, that's what you're waiting for, like to, to really be tested, to really know if you don't play your best, you can be beat. You have to wait till the championship game. Like, that's just weird. So, yeah, the problem is, Rick, there's no test on the schedule that if they do sleepwalk through the six game schedule, they could still go six and zero. Oh. And if that a regular schedule, you couldn't sleepwalk through the whole thing and be undefeated. Do you think they can sleepwalk against Utah, Ryan, if it happens? I just pro- don't think you can. Yeah, I, I mean, we just don't know. Like, I mean, the the fact that Cal, after not playing, looked that bad, um, and I thought they'd be pretty good. Your boy, my boy Chase Garbers. I mean, they they're well, they changed their offense too. I don't know. It just doesn't look good. What's going on there? I, I trust Kyle Whittingham and I trust his staff. Yeah, they did lose a lot of production though, and it's that's such a crapshoot. So. The, even the the good test that would be Utah, they haven't played for two weeks. So that's, I mean, Clay Hill talks about not having film. That's a minor inconvenience as a, compared to you haven't played two full football games. Like that's a big deal. We have a bunch of players out not practicing because of COVID. Like that's a big deal. So I think even though Utah's at home in the last, you know, seven games in the series, the home team has won. There's some X factor things leaning in USC's way significantly. So could USC sleepwalk and beat Utah? I think they could not. They definitely would, but there are definitely scenarios that they could sleepwalk through this game again and still get the win. If Utah's just all discombobulated. Yeah, I guess so. I just feel like there's usually when USC faces a team that's well coached, there's it's a speed bump. And it's kind of a flip of a coin. Then what happens? It's like, yes, the talent wins out or no, it doesn't. It's kind of a, a toss up. 
But in the same vein, Ryan, I'm just going to skip on to the next question because it's kind of related. It's from Don, and he says, I'm curious why so many people say USC plays down to their opponent's level. In reality, USC is playing up to their level. They are not that talented. Who on the offensive line can consistently win one-on-one battles? Other than Marlon Tuipolotu and Drake Jackson, uh, who should the opponent's offensive line be concerned about uh, disrupting a play? Regards, Don. Don, you're wrong again. Sorry. I know Don's just like one of our more pessimistic uh, people. And I get it. There's reasons to be pessimistic. But then you go, you take it too far to try to prove a point. And they are still the most talented team in the Pac-12. They have more four and five star guys than anybody else in the Pac-12. Um, nobody on the, Elijah Vera Tucker is probably going to be a first round draft pick. Okay. So, yes, they have people on the offensive line. That can play. Um, there's there's dudes. You know, Nick Figueroa has come in and I thought he's played uh, pretty well. I mean, he's doing some good things there. Is he scaring opponents? No, but Drake Jackson does. You know, and and we're seeing Marley Tuipolotu do that. And Tuli Tuipolotu looks like he's going to be a stud for a while. They have talent. So I'm sorry, Don, but it's still their talent on the team, and that's just the way it is. I'm, you're not going to tell me and convince me that they're just not that talented. They are, especially compared to the schedule that they have put together, uh, you know, the, the 3.0 Pac-12 schedule where you lop off the hard part. Yes, they're far more talented than anyone else they're going to play. And I would argue the fact that USC is playing this well, despite development issues and coaching issues, should show how talented they are. I think, I, like, I don't know why Don says that it's just talent rather than maybe coaching, why they aren't looking great. You know, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, look... Like, the guy, you know, what is Drake London doing? Like when he's catching a ball on third and 22 and he's six yards short of the first down marker and all these defenders on him, he just keeps powering through and nearly makes the first down just on his own effort. Like that's talent. You know, that's a dude that's really good at football. Stephen Carr, who looks like the, the guy that was really good at football that we saw when he was a freshman. I mean, there's talent there. Uh, those three horrible Red zone trips that USC had in the third quarter. Marquis Stepp, 49-yard run. Amon Ross St. Brown had like a 48-yard catch. And Stephen Carr had a 37-yard run. I mean, the talent was on display. And then they, the execution got all screwed up uh, when they got into the red zone. But, yeah, I don't think you can argue that there's not a, a, a ton of talent on this team. Yep. Agreed. Uh, let's move on to an email from Gary, class of 1975. He says, Ryan, I want to congratulate the USC players and coaches for uh, adhering to strict COVID-19 protocols. While many teams are getting infected and having games canceled, we seem to be doing a very good job. But I was surprised when after both games ended, our players crossed the field to high-five and embrace the op- opposing players. And of course, none are wearing masks. I know this is tradition, but that tradition should be abandoned this season. Congratulate your own teammates and get back to the locker room. In this strange year, in a short season, they need to stay vigilant and healthy. What are your thoughts, Gary, class of 1975? What's it's hard, Gary, because they're actually they're playing a football game against each other, and even congratulating themselves, you should argue that that you know they don't they're not supposed to have you know team meals together. Um, I think it's more to me from the research I've read the on-field sort of uh, risk of catching the virus from somebody else seems pretty minimal. Uh, There's really haven't been, I haven't seen a bunch of cases. It's really when players are back in the community 
or it's like these big group settings where they're all in a big meeting room, which they shouldn't be, and no one's wearing masks. Like I think that you know, where you're you're in an hour-long meeting in, the, in an indoor space is much more you know, you're much more at risk than tackling some guy. And it just seems like yeah, you tackle someone, you get up close, or you embrace someone after the game, but it's like a brief few seconds. You know, it's not prolonged exposure, which I don't want to get into all the you know whatever what you think about masks or all that kind of stuff. But just my general thought from what I've read is it's, it's more about the prolonged exposure as opposed to the quick interaction. Um, and those things on the field are quick interaction, but I would be hard pressed to tell a player like, Hey, don't go say, you know, congrats to the guy across the, across from you when you were spent the whole day chasing him around and tackling him and things like that. Yeah. So to give some context, like, when the ASU news came out about how they have a COVID outbreak and how Herm Edwards tested positive, there was some hubbub about how Clay Helton hugged Herm Edwards at the end of the game. Um, and so I, I got a, a little cranky text from a USC source that was saying like, calm down. Like it's not, it's fine that Clay Helton hugged Herm Edwards, like relatively fine because close contact is defined by the CDC as someone who was within six feet of an infected person for at least 15 minutes, starting from two days before the illness onset. So uh, it, High-fiving a player at the end of the game is relatively low, especially after you've been spending the last four hours hitting against each other. So I think that, I think, in the minds of the Pac-12 is fine. I will say, though, Ryan, I don't know if you, I think I told you this, but uh, we've heard Clay Helton talk about how eating is the highest uh, so far uh, among colleges, I think that it's been identified as eating together in groups is how it spreads really easily. And U.S. and Helton has talked a lot about how they get their meals delivered and and all that. USC had their post game meal outside of their locker room at at ASU uh, or at Arizona, and so they were they're eating outside. It was outdoors, but they were pretty close contact. And so I was a little taken aback by that because I was like. We've heard a lot about how they don't eat together, and here they are after the game eating together. And maybe this was just an Arizona thing because they were away, and it's easier uh, protocols because they're in a different state, and they have to get on the plane. So you might as well eat outside rather than eating on the plane. Not sure. I want to give them the benefit of the doubt, but I will say I was a little surprised to see that happening after all that we've heard from Clay Hilton. Yeah, that is weird, but it, it might be just like, okay, well, we have to eat. We have to get on the plane. It better is it better to be on the plane and everyone wears a mask as opposed to everyone gets on the plane and then doesn't wear a mask because they're eating. I mean, who, I mean, it's one of yeah, those situations it's, it's where it's a tough situation. Yeah. Yeah. If they're in a, a hotel, they apparently all get meals delivered to their rooms and they eat in their rooms and that's you just kind of keep it separate. But like post game, is there a place where they could all go somewhere separate and eat? Yeah. So it's it's sort of one of those things where you're taking some level of risk by playing college football. And they yeah. just have to do, I think USC has done a good job of trying to mitigate that risk as much as, as possible. But I, I didn't see the, the meal thing myself, but yeah, that's anytime you see like that, then you got to worry like, Oh, well, what does this mean? Or what does that mean? Yeah. So it's, it it's tough. And the, the travel seems to have been a part of it too. So yeah. USC comes back and so far we've heard, we haven't heard any kind of outbreak at usc right so that's that's yeah. good that they at least executed a road trip and so far it hasn't been um you know a problem the problem seemed to be halloween right like yeah, <laughs> yeah. that was the problem yeah. for people so luckily for usc that wasn't a problem but for many of the college football programs across the country the sec in particular halloween seemed to do a lot of these programs in 
Yeah, for sure. And especially the programs that don't really have a shot anymore. I think it's hard to get the buy-in when you you don't really know what you're playing for. Um, but yeah, to be fair to USC, Ryan, uh, it is hard to coordinate everything. And they probably had to choose the lesser of evils to eat outside. So it was just an interesting uh, thing to see. Uh, but moving on to an email from Dan, class of 1962. He says, uh, hi, Keely and Ryan. USC is both the worst 2-0 team and the luckiest. When the announcers know immediately how to play call uh, and prepare for the game but the coaches have to wait until the last three minutes to figure it out the problem is coaching there's also the fact that for the past 10 years we have not been recruiting the best linemen on offense especially if you have smaller less physical linemen you better have plays that they can run we will never have an effective run game with this coaching staff our linemen are just not as good as our opponents usc will will become dominant again only if we get an urban meyer or luke fickle as head coach your thoughts fight on and win dan class of 1962 I mean, Elijah Vera Tucker is really good offensive lineman. I'm going to say it again. Like, it's not like he's bad. He's, and, you know, I think Arizona's front was actually pretty good. That's probably the strength of their uh, defense. Um, they're running a whole new system, though, with, with Paul Rhodes, and they, you know, caused some problems. Uh, I don't like the way the offensive line recruiting has gone, and they've missed out on some of those five star or, four, or high four star guys locally that USC would typically get. And many of them have gone to Oregon. But I would say that's more of a 2021 issue when you're going to have some of these young players, inexperienced players that weren't ranked high, and now you have to develop them. I would say that in 2021. For this year, you still got dudes that got a lot of starts. There's some, you know, there's talent there. I mean, I think Nilan and Didich were highly ranked at their position at center, uh, you know, for sure. Elijah Vera Tucker, I think he's he's going to be great, and he's been great. I think Jalen McKenzie's, you know, going to be really good. So. We've seen a lot from Andrew Voorhees. So I, I I would say after this year, if you have to replace four or five dudes or whatever on the offensive line or, you know, four guys or three, whatever it is, I think that's 2021 is when you can look at like, okay, well, offensive line recruiting kind of went downhill a little bit. Did you bring in those guys that weren't ranked as high, but they were bigger or whatever, and you thought they would fit your scheme? And did you develop them and do you turn them into really good players? Is one of them going to be the next Elijah Vera Tucker and getting the top grade from pro football focus. I don't know. I would think, Dan, if you're going to have a worry about something about that, it would be next year as opposed to this year. I'm kind of surprised, Ryan, how you, you don't seem very worried about the offensive line right now. Is that correct? Am I reading you right? Uh, it's not that I'm not. I, I, I can be very critical of the offensive line for sure. I think that they've, but they've done some good things too. I'm not, I'm not, I think it's an easy scapegoat and I'm seeing other issues on this team as well. I think sure. it's still a problem. I think there's still um, shortcomings there, but I think they've cobbled together a pretty good line for this year and we'll see how they perform. Um, you know, Utah's got a better front than, you know, maybe they will be the best defensive front they face. We'll see what uh, yeah. that ends up looking like. I, but I think there's going to be a more of a drop off after this year. And I think that's where you could kind of like, okay, now this is the, you know, the last couple of classes you've had where these guys were, you know, middle level three stars. And are you going to turn them into something? And until we see those guys playing Keely, then I'll, I'm going to, I'm kind of save judgment for that. Then you can really talk about, wow, you've, you've blown up this offensive line. It's co a complete disaster or, some of those guys that we called projects become really good players too. And you're like, all right, well, they, they did turn it around. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. Okay. So you're, you're saying you're waiting on saying that recruiting is the issue on the offensive line until a couple years, uh, a season or two. Yeah. I mean, like 
bringing in the the class that they brought in last year, and th- I mean, that it doesn't have an impact right now, right? I mean, it's just it's not yeah, going yeah. to. the The impact it has is they didn't have a left tackle. They didn't have a. a there wasn't an Austin Jackson there, a former high four star, five star guy to come in and start right away. They didn't have that, so you had to move Elijah Vera Tucker. But they've they've made it work, you know. But now you're down. We Brett Elon's going to if he's still going to be out. You're down to kind of five guys that you trust. If someone else gets hurt, what happens? So I I, I definitely I, I mean I think the offensive line there's issues there, but I see other bigger ones. Um, they're doing enough that I'm just like I don't need to like totally you know uh, be super harsh towards the offensive line. But I think next year then you can go back and look at remember all those things we said about those recruiting classes. Well now those guys got to play. So prove us wrong and say they weren't projects and they weren't uh, lower level guys than what you should have been recruiting or the guys that turned you down. Um, that's where I really yeah. want to kind of save, save my ammo for that one, Keelan. Okay. Okay. Well, I, I trust your opinion, Ryan. I might disagree a little bit, but <laughs> I'll, I'll go should, with you it. You should disagree and you shouldn't trust my opinion. But that's <laughs> yeah. But for time's sake, we'll, we'll move on. We have a question from Steve in Poway who says, uh, is Todd Orlando's defensive scheme designed to create massive holes in the middle of the field? If so, it's doing a great job of it. I see the D line going crazy up front and I see the defensive backs covering their men, but virtually nothing in between Steve and Poway. Um, yeah, that's it. That's really that. What they want to do is get you overconfident, so they'll just open up huge holes and let opponent opponents uh, just run through them. No, Steve, that's not the. Uh, He's design. joking, Ryan. I know. I'm just saying. <laughs> like I'm joking too. So. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's when I especially in the Arizona State game, it the linebacker seemed like the biggest issue to me, where there was. Places where, wow, that's where it'd be great for the linebacker to be filling in that spot, and they're not there for some reason. Um, we talked about this on Tunnel Vision a little bit. It just doesn't – it looks like it's kind of a slow-reacting defense. Maybe there's a little more thinking going on as opposed to just getting places and, you know, you want some Hulk smash stuff going on. If you make a bad choice as a defensive player, but you make a decisive choice and you make it quickly and you do it fast and you do it violent – like something good can still happen, you know, where on the offensive side, like you forget to block somebody, you're probably screwed, you know, but if you like, well, I'm supposed to be in this gap, but I'm in this gap and I'm doing it really fast and I'm blowing something else up and who knows, maybe the play goes that way and you, you accidentally blow the playoff, but I don't think they're doing anything super fast. You know what I mean? Like it, it, if you're at least doing it violent and fast and even if it's wrong, it could still be right. Sure. I don't know if that's like a a, a winning formula in the long run, <laughs> but I, I think it could work. But that's one of the things I said earlier, like I was waiting to see what Keen Slovis looked like in game two. The other thing I wanted to watch for is just the, the speed of the defense. I felt like against ASU, they were just kind of slow and it just felt that way again against Arizona and slow in the sense of like their tackling angles were poor and it just felt like they were kind of going 75% and I don't know if that's fair to say but it just feels off in that sense and then it just feels like their 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 reaction times are just a little delayed and maybe that's just a game speed thing maybe they're not fully warmed up it was a very long off season but I just feel like they're thinking a lot and it's just making them like a half step or a step later than they probably should be I, I agree and that that's if you remember back in the Justin Wilcox days I think that was what was going on there 
and we'll have to get a better feel. We've only seen two games um, from Todd Orlando, but I mean, I remember talking to some of the assistant coaches that were under Wilcox at the time, and he's done a great job, like most every place he's been, except for USC. And it seemed like there was too much thinking, and you had these great athletes that weren't playing fast. They weren't playing up to their speed because they were asked to do a lot more and they were sort of thinking about it. So to me, it just wasn't, he wasn't utilizing his personnel correctly. And maybe that's something Todd Orlando is kind of still getting used to now, but I want to see them play. Just look at the defense and go, wow, they're playing fast. You wouldn't say that right now. You don't look at this defense and go, man, they're just, they're flying around. They're playing fast. I, I, I mean, there's individual dudes doing some great things, but it's not like the defense as a whole is just running around with their hair on fire and making plays. Yeah. That's why I'm still kind of holding out judgment. I just want to see if this is like a, they need to get more comfortable with the scheme type of thing and then they'll play faster or, you know, I don't know. It's something that, but not totally sure yet on that front. Uh, We have one last email and it's from Sergeant Rodney Strong. And he says, boy, oh boy, I tell you this this game damn near gave me a heart attack. How is it that we have so much talent on this team and and yet are squeaking at wins like this is against a less talented team? What is going on? We have been watching the same issues come up and the same post-game speeches, the same excuse after excuse. When are things really going to change? Yes, USC got the win, but I feel like things could have been better for our kids to be put in positions to really win and showcase ways. Once again, the players' talent bails out the lack of powerful leadership-filled championship coaching am i asking for too much and i need to just ease up a little or is my frustration warranted as always thank you guys for letting me vent fight on dot 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 i guess sergeant rodney strong hey sergeant strong yeah um no i mean i'm not going to disagree with what you're saying but if you're going to come in every week and be surprised that that's happening that's probably a little bit on you we're you know and we wrote, you know, I wrote the, the column about this being Groundhog's Day. We tweeted about it. We've talked about it. It is. You're seeing the same issues kind of come up over and over again. And, you know, the, the, by the 15th time that Bill Murray hits the, the alarm clock and hears, I got you, babe, by Sonny and Cher, like, he's really frustrated. But I don't think he's shocked. Like, he just knows that that's just kind of the way it is. Um, if you expect it to be different, then, yeah, that, that if, if he woke up and was like, I can't believe it's Groundhog's Day again. At that point, you're like, this, this is what it is. Um, I feel like it's legit criticism, but I don't think any of us are going to be shocked if we see them sort of play a lackluster game against Utah or a lackluster game against Colorado and they make a bunch of mistakes. Maybe it's a bunch of penalties this week or maybe it's a bunch of turnovers. It's We'll talk about it and we'll say, hey, that's a problem and we'll ask questions about it. But I don't think it's something that we have to, that we would you know, be shocked by. Uh, if they came out and played like a great game, that might be a little more shocking than what we're kind of expecting right now. If they go out and actually cover the spread or whatever, like, oh, okay, that's that's what would get my attention more. Like when USC covers a spread, if they, you know, I picked against USC the last two weeks because I don't pick USC with double digit as a double digit favorite ever. Um, and you're mostly right when that happens. So, but if they covered the spread, it'd be like, I mean. It's a little, it's a little surprising, but you also understand, you know, they're a way more talented team. So if they came out and won, won by 21 points, it wouldn't super surprise me, but it would be like, okay, so they, they actually went out and, uh, and looked like a real team. Um, but right now that's just not the case. And, uh, you know, Clay Helton talked about it today when shotgun asked him about, you know, playing up the potential and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, he sort of dodged a question and talked about 
growth of like individual players. And I don't think that's the issue. Your players and them growing, that that's not the problem. It's really, why doesn't this team look like it's growing? Why doesn't the, the team in general look like they're getting better each week? Yeah, yeah. maybe Keen Slovis gets better or Drake London gets better or Brew McCoy, like, you know, he's growing as a player. Like, that's fine. Like, those are, you know, highly ranked athletes and they're going to do highly ranked things on the field. But you as a coach, what are you bring, What are you doing to make this team better, to fix some of the problems that are there and not just mask them or talk around them or you fix this one a little bit, but then that one gets worse. That's what I think you want to see. And uh, that's Sergeant Strong is what we're not really seeing. So it's hard to be shocked when we're not seeing it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think I've said now in both post-game instant analysis is instant outside. What's the pool of instant analysis? Not sure. But uh, I keep asking, you know, is this is this just what, a Clay Helton team is, you know, no matter what's what the season is, even if it's the long off season, it just seems like the same mistakes, you know, and that's why to your point about the the individual growth, it just makes you wonder, like, as far as the we're expecting A's and they're pretty proud of C's, it's like, yeah, you can be happy about what this team will look like in November, but shouldn't you look great in September? You know, if this was a regular season, but you know what I mean? Like, why are, why do you have to wait for this team to look good and come into their own? Why can't they do that from game one? You know, yeah. it, it, why are the expectations, why are the goalposts moving in this sense? And it just feels like that's year after year after year. And I don't think that's what a USC team should look like, or at least based on the tradition of what USC teams have been. So that's where it's like, well, whose expectations are going to be went out you know <laughs> yeah and sometimes you can move the goalpost yourself like you change what and but sometimes the goalposts are moved for you like we've had with this pandemic and sometimes both are happening and i think that's what's the case here and you're still acting like it's a 56 yard field goal and it's really a you know an extra point and you're just like what, what are you doing here um so yeah i get that well we got one last voicemail keely i think we'll wrap up the show okay hey ryan and keely it's joan levis um, I just want to share with you a little conversation I had with or text uh, exchange I had with a former Trojan uh, football great um, on Sunday, and it it was amazing. I just said uh, um, that our game was a travesty, and he said, "Yes, sorry, ass game, Sandlot football. That was anybody's game. Both weeks, terrible. You know, it's just." There's not much more to say. I usually wear a um, SC pendant around my neck, but I just took it off and not until they um, get rid of this experiment and and get rid of Clay Helton. I can't wear it anymore. I'm just so frustrated. I just see these great athletes out there on the field making plays and and uh, as he said, playing sandlot football just to win the football game. There's no continuity. There's no there's no real plan. There's, we just, I mean, everybody said it anyway. Thanks so much and fight on. Man, Joan, she's not wearing her USC gear, like her, her pendant. She's not wearing it anymore. Keely. What, what does that mean? That's not I a mean, good sign. Right. This feels like, who was it in Longhorn country who said that he was done listening to or paying attention to the team until they won three straight in a row? Jason, it, right? Jason, Jason Longhorn. Longhorn. Yeah, exactly. So maybe after Utah, we might see Jason back. Yeah, no, but I, people are frustrated. And I think we've talked about a lot why they would be in this podcast. You know, it's just, 
And that's the thing. What do you want from a USC team? And I think the fans have different expectations right now. They do. And that's, it's weird when you see people sort of like, I don't want to say like jumping off a bandwagon, but the team's two and oh, right. Um, we've, and I, I, people will tweet me about, well, what is Clay Helton going to say? Wait till you see this team in November. You know, why was he saying that? Because they lost games in September. And so you'd say that you'd lose games early and you're saying, well, we're going to be better. He doesn't have to say that now because they're undefeated, but the way we're, the questions we're getting, the fans feel like they're zero and two. They obviously they could have been very easily, but the team is two and zero. So Clay Houghton doesn't have to say, "Wait till we," you know. He's only going to talk about what needs to be corrected if they lose, um, and that's where, like, you talk about moving the goalposts. You're just not that playing that tough of a schedule, so just winning can't be enough. Do you know what I mean? It's just not that way. If you want to talk about championships, yes, you can win the Pac-12 South, which isn't a championship, as Keely pointed out. But you can win the Pac-12 South by winning ugly the team, you know, the games on your schedule, and you're going to be overmatched. You're, all of your opponents are going to be overmatched. You could still win the South. To win the Pac-12, you're going to have to beat a good Oregon team uh, or somebody from the North that's probably going to be pretty good if they can beat Oregon. So that will be a little bit more of a challenge. Um, and then. That's it. Like, there's no one that was going to be your peer, your equal on the schedule. Now there was, and they're gone. So, um, yeah, I I feel like it's one of those situations where you don't have to say, "Well, wait, just wait. We're going to get better." Clayton's not going to say that because he's undefeated. So in his mind, they're already good enough, right? They're already good. They don't need to fix anything. Even though USC fans are like, "You need to fix stuff," in Clayton's mind, they're two and zero. You don't need to fix anything. What we did was right. Which, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, and in that sense, it almost feels like we're being gaslit a little bit. And I think that's why I keep calling into question, like, what should be expectations? You know, like, what should the expectation be? Because it just, if you listen to this podcast, I don't think you would know that USC is (laughs) 2-0, you know? But at the same time, like, college football should be enjoyable for its fans. I think we've just gone through so many questions and voicemails that just shows that USC fans aren't having a fun time watching this team, you know? And I think that ultimately is the goal. And if that's not happening, then I think your expectations need to be adjusted. And so it's just weird. It's weird covering a team that's 2-0 and and fans are just this frustrated, you know? That's a, I mean, it's a really good point where, why, why are we even here? Like, why does uscfootball.com exist? Why does this podcast exist? People enjoy... USC football. They enjoy Trojan football. It's part of their life. They've gone to games forever or their grandpa went there or whatever it is. You have this affinity for Trojan football. And because you do, you want to hear about the team. You want to read about the team. You want to know what's going on behind the scenes. You want to go to the water cooler at work and to your other USC friend and be able to tell them something that they don't know because you read it on uscfootball.com. Whatever the reason is, there's a passion there. You love it. It's enjoyable. This isn't enjoyable for most of the fans that are on our message boards and on Twitter and things like that. They just aren't enjoying it. And you're 2-0 and with two fourth quarter come from behind dramatic wins and the fans aren't happy. I think if you're USC and you're looking around, you're like, are you questioning why the fans aren't happy? Think about it then. Like, why aren't they? Are there, is there something you can do? to make the team better and to, you know, to change things. And should you do that? If you're just trying to appease fans, probably not, but there's, there's an underlying reason why you should. And the, what the fans are doing should sort of be like the canary in the, 
in the coal mines saying like, okay, that we, we have a problem. Like we're winning and people aren't happy. Why is that? Oh, because we do the same things over and over again. We're making mistakes and we're a better team than this. And I mean, I think there's real reasons outside of just the fans, but the fans are like sort of like the what's pointing you to what the real problem is. And I get it. If you're a USC fan, if it's just the Clay Helton thing, that's one thing. If you used to hate Clay Helton, okay. I mean, I, I'm I'm losing some sympathy for that. I get it. But the way they're playing and they're coached by Clay Helton, I think you have a legit reason there. Like, hey, this is something that's happening over and over again. Why isn't this being addressed? You could agree or disagree that Clay Helton's the head coach, but if you're Clay Helton, you should be addressing a lot of these things. And when they're not, uh, I think that's a real problem. Yeah, and, and I think that's a good distinction you made, Ryan. Like, it's one thing to just be like the the Clay Helton haters who won't take anything like any win as a win. That's that's one thing, and I don't. I'm not sure if I really validate that to a certain extent. But there's a part where it's just bad football, <laughs> you know. Like when when the announcers, Gus Johnson, who loves football and who is screaming at anything happening is talking about how this is not a fun offense to watch. I think that's when, you know, like there things need to improve, even if you're two and O, you know, yeah. it just, it just is not, not, not great. <laughs> not great. All right. Well, we, this has gone long. We're going to have to wrap this up, but we are going to do know, a preview podcast. No, no, it's not you. Um, <laughs> we'll do a preview co- podcast on, um, on Wednesday. So I'm going to have Dan Sorensen, who does a great job with the Ute Zone over on you know 24/7 Sports that cover Utah, forward and assume that the game is going to happen. We will see if it does. Uh, we can cross our fingers. It seems like it's going in that direction, so that's good. Another, you know, I guess you could say it's another lucky break for USC that they won't have a game canceled yet uh, for COVID. So uh, that's a good thing, um, you know. But there's contingency plans too. So if if you know the Utah game gets canceled, there's a you know possibility that Colorado could get moved up, and Colorado and uh, and uh, you know Utah could move their game. Or was it Colorado and Arizona State? I think they could move their game. Um, yeah, yeah. So there's it. You know the Pac-12 has shown some flexibility already, so I think that would happen if Utah gets canceled because Colorado and uh, Arizona State have already been canceled. So Colorado is kind of sitting there hoping for one other game to get canceled so they could have an opponent. But if Utah does cancel, you could move Colorado up and then Colorado was scheduled to play, um, you know, Utah and they could play them, uh, you know, they could swap those games. So uh, it's a little confusing, but there's, there's some contingency plans that would work and work out pretty well, but hopefully USC and Utah play and you don't have to worry about that, but um, all right, Keely, well, good stuff. And uh, looking forward to uh, talking to you again. We'll, we'll talk to you on Wednesday and we'll do some preview stuff. Yeah, so you'll hear from me soon enough. I'll be yeah. back quickly. <laughs> Tunnel Vision Wednesday night. So mm-hmm. you can tune in for that too. So we'll have a preview podcast Wednesday, but also our live show Wednesday evening. But go to uscfootball.com. You should bookmark that and check it out. And thanks for listening. Uh, thanks for reviewing us, leaving us five stars. We appreciate all that. And being part of our little Parastyle podcast family. So thanks for tuning in. And we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices. Every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. 
You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.